Well, church, we are diving into a new sermon series this morning, and we are going to kind of have as our main text this morning being out of Colossians 1, so if you'll stand with me as we read together from Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Hear this from the Apostle Paul. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints." To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, I pray that this morning, as we open your words, your scriptures, your Bible, help us to hear from you. May we have ears that are ready to hear and hearts that are soft. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, church, we are going to be spending three weeks looking at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We'll take one week, a little break in the middle of that to celebrate graduation Sunday, but we are going to be looking at the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the questions, or kind of the main question that I'm hoping to answer as we walk through the idea of the Holy Spirit is, how do you do the Christian life? How do you do the Christian life? Or in other words, how do I walk with God in a vibrant way? Or how do I have a vibrant walk with God? Now I'm going to warn you, today is going to end on a cliffhanger. I hope that at the end of the day, you are severely unsatisfied. And you're like, ooh, I need some answers, Mark. Uh, why'd you leave me hanging there? And sorry to students, if you're, uh, you know, headed off, you'll have, to, you'll have to check out the podcast or watch online. So my apologies for that. But um, it will be helpful in some way. But today is an incomplete message. It is an incomplete message. Now, if you're also here today and you're not a Christian, I hope that what I walk through today will somewhat rework your perspective on what the Christian life is all about and what it's actually like, how Christians are actually supposed to live. Because I think sometimes we Christians kind of give the impression that the Christian life is about a list of do's and don'ts. There's something to do with Jesus, but also then we have this kind of list that we follow. And I hope that today and the next few weeks begin to radically change that perception. And I hope to show that you too can have a vibrant relationship with God. Now, normally if you're visiting here, we walk through a book of the Bible. We've been walking through Matthew, specifically the Sermon on the Mount, and we will go back to walking through books of the Bible, something in the Old Testament here in a few weeks. I'll be finalizing plans with that hopefully this week. But uh, we will be, uh, but today, excuse me, for the next three weeks, we are doing a topic. Now, we'll have a main text that we work out of, 
but uh, it is more of a topical thing. That's not the normal thing that we do, but sometimes I think in the life of a church, there's specific questions that we need to answer, and I think God in His mercy has given us those answers, but in a variety of places in the Scriptures. So for the next three weeks, we're kind of, the, the sermons will be a little different than what, we're normally, uh, what we normally do. So bear with me. We'll go back to what we normally do in a few weeks. So, but this week, we are going to be doing, or uh, this week in particular, we're going to be talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of our first thing that we're talking about. Now, when we think about the Holy Spirit, if we have a misunderstanding of who He is and His role in our lives, we can easily become tired in our Christian life. I mean, doesn't, it, doesn't the Christian life feel exceptionally hard sometimes? It's like, Lord, I don't know how to do this. You tell me that I'm supposed to follow you in this particular way. But man, Lord, all I want to do is kind of run this way over here. You can become tired, easily burned out, and you can wonder, where is that vibrant walk with the Lord that I long for? Now, our normal mode for walking with God or having a better walk with God is, well, just try harder. You're not doing something right. Just do it better. Try harder. But I don't think that's what the Scriptures actually teach us. So, hopefully we'll be kind of covering answers to those questions of how do we actually do this over the next three weeks. I also want to credit, off the bat, uh, two particular guys that... Uh, uh, that I uh, got to know a little bit during my time with my former ministry. Uh, two guys, one was Bob Foose and another was Rick James, and they influenced my thinking greatly on this topic. And so some of the stuff that I'll be sharing is not uh, original to me. Uh, even the phrase that I'm going to give you at the end of the day is not one that I came up with. It's actually really cheesy, and so I don't want to claim credit for it. Um, but, but they shaped my thinking in this and even how I understand uh, the scriptures and how they, they speak about these. So I want to get off the, off the bat, give credit to them uh, for, for shaping uh, my thought process in this. So, all right. I want to take you back to a season in my life. This was the year 2008, and I was serving as a one-year missionary in East Asia. Now, when I got to East Asia, I moved into an apartment where a long-term missionary was already living. So I basically moved in with him. And when I arrived, he had to orient me to our apartment. He's like, hey, we've got in-floor heating here. I'm like, ooh, that's nice. And that's the first and only time I have ever had in-floor heating. He's like, yeah, you know, it comes out of the hot water heater and uh, goes down into the floor and heats our apartment, and we only heat two rooms. I thought, okay. And uh, at the time, I thought we only heat two rooms meant... We can only heat two rooms. Well, my room had this very big window in it, and we were in a developing country, so the quality of that window was a little lacking. It was quite drafty. It was a nice window with a really good view of the apartment building next to us, <laughs> but it was very drafty. We were also in a more desert region, so at night it would get very cold, especially during the winter. So my room... I kid you not, one time I even brought a thermometer in there to see how cold it was getting. It was getting into the 40s at night during the winter. Rather uncomfortable. So I would keep getting more and more blankets and bringing them into my room as the winter progressed to try to stay warm at night. It was awful, miserable. Well, about late February, maybe early March, I was poking around by the hot water heater doing something. 
mean, maybe cleaning or something. I wasn't cleaning. Let's be real. There wasn't that. I don't, I don't know what I was doing. But I was back by the hot water heater. And I see a line coming out of the water heater. And they're dividing into six branches, each of which had a little nozzle that you could turn on and off. And two of them were turned on. And I began to think, that looks like every house or every room in our apartment has a hot water line going to it. Wait a second. I've had heat in my room this whole time, but I haven't been able to turn it or I haven't just turned it on. I have been enduring 40 degree nights by a drafty window because, yes, my bed was right next to the window. And this whole time, I could have had delightful in-floor heating. We had these, like, this polished tile floor. Oh, it was so wonderful when you put your bare feet on it. Oh, But not, not in my room because it was super cold. But anyways, from that day on, I obviously did not have a cold night because I turned on the heat. For many of us, we live the Christian life like I was living that winter. We see the Christian life and the things we're supposed to do, and we just keep trying harder. We put more blankets on our spiritual life. Well, maybe I'll get warm, have that fire for God if I just do this, I do this, I do this. Meanwhile, God has already given us His Holy Spirit, and we don't even realize that He's there, and his, He can bring His warmth. Now, I want to give you a picture as we uh, dive into uh, this series of an operating system. You know, we all have phones that have different operating systems. You can be an iPhone guy or Android person. And, you know, occasionally you update your operating system. But we also know that operating systems don't really, like older operating systems or completely different operating systems don't work with the new operating system or like an iPhone's not going to work with an Android app. Like they're a completely different operating system. The operating system kind of determines how all of the software runs. It's the operating system. We had an old operating system in our spiritual lives, and that was we tried to earn God's favor. We miserably failed at it, but that was our operating system. I'm going to do these things in order to make God like me. That's our operating system before we become a Christian. When we become a Christian, God gives us a new operating system. Christ has paid for me. There's nothing I can do in order to earn his favor. And in essence, there is a hot water pipe that comes to my life. And the question is, am I willing to realize it's there and surrender so that it's continually turned on? But the truth is, oftentimes, we go back to putting on more blankets instead of actually turning on the hot water. We don't live as if we have a new operating system. Now, That's a long, long, long introduction, so let's turn back to our text for today and walk through it. Let's talk about turning on or operating by that new operating system. All right, Paul is speaking to the church in Colossae, and he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now the first few verses, verses 25 through 26, are one long sentence. And you may look at it and you're like, I have no idea what Paul is saying because this sentence is too long. Paul, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about here? I'm, I'm not following you. So we're going we're gonna to just kind of break down phrase by phrase what he says. So he starts here, I'm rejoicing in my sufferings. So he's happy to suffer. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. Not in the sense that 
Christ's death on the cross wasn't enough or he didn't uh, suffer enough. But instead, Paul is saying, I haven't identified with Christ's suffering enough. God is teaching me through my suffering. He's teaching me more and more what Jesus is like. So I'm learning through suffering. And we talked a lot about that in the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm happy to suffer. Why? For the sake of his body, that is the church. So he's like, I willingly rejoice in my suffering because of the church. And then in verse 25... I became a minister. God basically stewarded me. He entrusted me with this ministry. He entrusted me with the ministry to the church. And what's that ministry? To make the word of God fully known. And then he goes on in verse 26 to describe what, that, what the word of God is. The word of God is the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now has been revealed to the saints. So I've been given a task to make God's word known, and that word is the mystery that's been hidden and now revealed. Not a mystery in the sense of, for you husbands out there, like you may feel like your wife is a mystery, or wives, you may feel like your husband is a mystery. Not type of that like unsolvable riddle that's like, okay, this is just weird. Not that mystery, but in the sense of a revealed plan. Something that was hidden but is now being made known. That type of mystery. Okay? And then in verse 27, he continues, To them, to the saints, God chose to make known among the Gentiles how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is the mystery? Christ in you. Christ in you. God is showing Gentiles the glory of the mystery. And that is that now, Gentiles, because Paul is speaking to a primarily Gentile audience in Colossae, saying, you too get to have the hope of glory. You too have Christ in you. Both Jews and Gentiles get to have the presence of God. So to summarize all of this together, Paul rejoices and willingly suffers because he has a wonderful ministry. That ministry is sharing a mystery that was once hidden and is now revealed. Gentiles get to have God as well. By the way, our first point here is going to be most of our time. So if you feel like we get to our first point and you're like, oh my goodness, I feel like you've been talking for half hour, that's planned. So don't, don't freak out. Okay, so Paul wants them to know that they have Christ. Christ is in you. Gentiles and Jews have this new operating system of Christ in them. Let's give a little brief history of God's presence with man in the Old Testament. Specifically, God called his people out of Egypt, and then, through the giving of the law, he basically said, hey, you're going to have a tent, and my presence is going to reside within you. I went in way more detail about this in our Monday Thursday service, so if you want to go hear a more in-depth talk about that, you can go uh, listen to that one. But God's presence resided in this tent or this tabernacle. His presence would be in there. His glory would be in there. And once a year, one guy got to go in. One guy. And that was only after a blood sacrifice had been made that would cleanse him from his sin. So once a year, one guy would go into the one place where God's glory would dwell. A very exclusive place. Eventually, Israel finds a permanent home 
for the presence of God. They build a temple, so he's no longer in the tabernacle or tent. But in the temple, there was a veil. You wouldn't go beyond that veil, but the same rules applied. One guy, once a year, to one place. Now, God's people kept failing to uphold God's rules and God's laws. So God eventually kicks them out of the land, says, you're not going to be in this special place. You're not going to be in this place that I have set apart and have uh, given to you. I'm exiling you. And then he gives them a promise of a new future time when he would restore them. Because they had failed to follow up or to to live up to what God had, had desired. And he gives them a promise of a new time when they would. So let's look at that. We're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 36, uh, verses 34 to 25. In verse 24, God is speaking through Ezekiel and he says this, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. So God promises a time. He says, look, there's going to be a radical new intimacy that my people have with me. I'm going to put my spirit within them. I'm going to gather you together. You will be my people. God's presence wasn't just going to be in that one place, but he would be inside his very people. The external law was unable to change their and our hearts. Laws don't make us love God. Laws show us God's character, but they don't change us. And God was saying, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to give you a new operating system. A new operating system. Well, in the New Testament, we see that Jesus comes. He pays for our sin. When he dies, that veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And so now we have access to God. God's dwelling place is in our hearts. And Jesus, right before he died, said to his disciples, it's better for you that I would go. He said, it's better, better for me to leave you. And then in the rest of the New Testament, we get all these pictures where God talks about his spirit dwelling within them. Let's look at John 14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus is speaking, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells dwells with you and will be in you. Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? He also says in 2 Timothy 1.14, By the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 9 and 11, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. 
If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Seeing some patterns here? Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. All of these together show that we have the Holy Spirit residing in our hearts. So, that's our first point for today. As a Christian, you have God Himself, God Himself residing within you and directing your life. You have God Himself residing within you and directing your life. Sometimes we, we forget this. We think the Christian life is up to us and we're on our own. But Paul and the rest of the New Testament writers continually remind us, you have the Holy Spirit here. He is here. He is working in your life. Are you willing to open your eyes? Are you willing to surrender and say, Holy Spirit, help? You have God Himself residing within you. He's no longer in a tabernacle where I have to go to this place to find Him. But He is in us. And this is called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is tabernacling with us. I want th- there needs to be two truths in this, this point that I have here that I really want you to, to reflect on and meditate on. The idea that He's residing and directing. That He's residing and directing. I mean, think about dwelling on the beauty of just God's presence. That there's no way or nowhere that you can go that God is not in your life. Nowhere. Not just that you can't physically go to a place and He's not going to be around you, but if you go to a place, He's still literally in you. That's a beautiful truth. It's no longer one man once a year in one place. But it's all of God's people all the time, wherever we are. And His presence doesn't leave. In Ezekiel chapter 10, the glorious presence of God, His Holy Spirit, departed from the temple, showing that His favor and His blessing, His protection of His people would be there no more. But in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, He says, and He's quoting from the Old Testament actually, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the whole book of Hebrews is basically saying there's something better than the law, the old covenant. There's something better here. You have something better than the tabernacle. You have Jesus Christ. You have His Holy Spirit dwelling with you. And it's not some mystical presence, but the third person of the Trinity. I'll talk more about this next week. But the actual person, not a force like a Jedi, but an actual person dwelling with you, walking with you and in you. But also a beautiful thing to dwell on the fact that He's directing our life. In other words, He's rewiring us. He has rewired us and He is rewiring us, giving us new desires. Because in Ezekiel 36 verse 27, we read this. He says, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Who's who's doing it? God is. He will cause you to walk in His statutes. God didn't just save you. He gave you the ability and the desire to walk in His ways. He doesn't just save us and say, great, 
my work is done. I've died on the cross for you. You can get to heaven now. He says, no. That part is true, but now I'm going to conform you more and more to look like my beloved son, Jesus. In 1894, there was a ship called the Ironton that was uh, sailing on Lake Huron, collided with another ship, and sank. Now, tragically, the crew, most of the crew, all but two, also died. But the especially sad part about that tragedy was that most of the crew, or maybe all of the crew, I'm not sure, made it to the lifeboat. And the reason they didn't survive was because the lifeboat was tethered to the Ironton. So it went down with the ship. Now, that's a really morbid example, but I kind of want to flip it and say just in the same way that those sailors were tethered to the Ironton and went down with the ship, we have the Holy Spirit. We are tethered to Him. Or like uh, the, 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 the old hymn goes, like, bind my, or let, their good, let your goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. We are bound to him, and instead of it be us being dragged down into the death, as sin drag, like sin, sin drags us down into death, we have the Holy Spirit who brings us up to life. He has rewired us, and he doesn't let us go. We are in, he is in us, and we are in Christ. We can change, we have been changed, we hear Christ's voice, we aren't stuck, we have hope. But then that leads us to the question, okay, that's true, Mark, okay, I have the Holy Spirit, but how do I walk? What do I do? What are the results of Him uh, being within me? Let's go back to our main text of Colossians. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the task that that Paul is kind of saying, God has has set me to this task. I'm proclaiming, I'm warning, I'm teaching, I'm being the Apostle Paul. That's the task. And how does he do it? Verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all my energy that I work powerfully within me. Is that what it says? No. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Struggling with all his energy. If we start struggling with our own energy, we'll get tired And we say, I quit. I'm out. I'm done. Paul never says he's out of energy. He does say he toils, he struggles, he labors. He uses a lot of difficult language. But he always says, it's God who's working in me who's doing this. I think a good example or kind of a way to help us wrap our mind around this. Guy went to Baumgars and bought a chainsaw, took it home, had trouble cutting down a tree. So he takes it back and was talking to the sales rep at the store He's like, I was trying to cut down a tree and I just could not do it. I was at it for over an hour trying to get this thing to cut down this tree. And the sales rep kind of takes a look at the, the chainsaw. He checks the chain. He's like, well, the chain is sharp. I, I don't understand why there's a problem. He's like, and, and, the, and the guy who bought it said, there is. It's not working. I can't get this tree down. So the sales rep takes the chainsaw and he takes the cord and he pulls it and it starts up. And the guy who bought it jumps and says, what's that sound? been trying to use a chainsaw that wasn't on. That's like us as Christians trying to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit empowering us. You cannot live the Christian life on your own. You were not designed to. The Christian life was not designed to. All the things we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't do them. 
but the Spirit of Christ can. So here's our second point. As a Christian, you aren't the source of power for the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is. You aren't the source of power for the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is. So it's not about trying harder. It's about relying harder. Not trying harder, but relying harder. Our new operating system doesn't run on our own effort. And that doesn't mean that there aren't choices I make, decisions that I have to decide, positions I need to put myself in, thoughts I need to think, or even effort that, I'm not, that, that, I, that I have to put out. But all of that is ultimately needs to be seen through the lens of Christ working in me. So when I feel at the end of my rope, I have to say, Jesus, help me. It's not me who can do this. I need your help. When you're tempted, you need to remember that God is there and that He can help. When you're going about your day, and you're at work and you're frustrated, or you're just with your family and you're frustrated, or whatever it is, we need to remember God is there. He can help. The Christian life isn't about an hour at church where we get filled up and that lasts us throughout the week. Yes, you should be reminded of things here. Yes, you should be encouraged by your time here. Yes, being with the body of Christ should be special. But you don't get something here that then somehow you slowly pour out through the course of the week. You have the Holy Spirit the rest of the week. I'm not the one giving you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you. Why spend today talking about the indwelling of the Spirit? Why have I spent so much time talking about this? Because if you don't believe that the Holy Spirit is actually in your life, your default mode will be, well, I guess it's up to me. The first step in learning how to walk in step with the Spirit and to rely upon Him is to acknowledge that He's there. But we so often live the Christian life as if it's just us. Oh, woe is us if we forget that God is here with us. Relying on the Spirit isn't about getting something outside of you in, but realizing that His power is already there, and it's something to do with the orientation and posture of my heart that needs to change. Not getting more of that. Wherever God is, all of Him is there. So I don't need to get more, but I need to surrender more. Now here's the cliffhanger. We're not going to talk about how do we actually rely upon the Holy Spirit. How do we actually get His power? Sorry, I'm not going there today. So you may be frustrated. You're like, okay, the Holy Spirit's there. Supposed to rely on Him. Pastor Mark, how do I do that? You have to come back next week for it. But this week, I do want you to meditate. Now, if you've ever worried, you have meditated before. So you may hear the words meditate. Like, I don't know how to meditate. It's worrying. Just dwelling on something in your mind over and over and over again. I want you to worry, dwell upon the fact that the God of the universe lives inside of you. Because isn't that wild that God himself would choose to dwell with broken, fallen creatures? Now here's the cheesy phrase. You've got it in your, your worship order. And this is not my phrase. This is from Bob Foose, So, But it's hard to forget. I mean, this has stuck with me. I heard this, oh, I want to say 11 years ago. And I, I can't shake it because it's, it's powerful. My new OS is the HS. It rhymes, kind of. 
My new OS is the HS. You're welcome. This will stick with you. You'll find it very annoying. But it's a truth that we need. We need to remember that the Holy Spirit is the one that drives our lives. It's not about having a list of Christian to-dos and then just going and checking them off, whether it's kind of things I have to be at, responsibilities I have, or moral things that are supposed to be part of my life. But then instead, it is a walk with the third person of the Trinity. My new OS is the HS. When you're tempted to try harder, just remember, my new OS is the HS. Maybe you'll be in a Bible study or you have a, a, maybe something that you need to say to somebody in your life, whether encouraging or a rebuke. Just remember, my new OS is the HS. When we're about to have communion and also do collect corporate worship together and singing, it's not about trying to get the Holy Spirit inside of you, but instead just remembering, oh, my new OS is the HS. Maybe you'll be scared to kind of put yourself out there and share your faith at work or school or wherever. Just remember, you're not alone. Your new OS is the HS. So next week, we'll be answering the question of how. How do we get the power? How does this operating system work in that sense where I actually rely upon the Holy Spirit? My new OS is the HS. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness and goodness to us. We thank you that you have gifted us with your Spirit and that the Christian life isn't up to us and that we're not alone. Help us to walk with you, delight with you, know you, and just rejoice that you are here with us guiding us, and you are just waiting for us to turn to you and to cry out to you for help. May we live like that this week. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.